0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy.
0: Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio.
1: I'm sorry to say, the Health Secretary is there now. Good morning to you, Mr. Hancock.
0: Hello, how are good you? Good mo-
1: Very well. Well, probably not as good as you. I think uh, it I think is a good morning. It's a victory lap day, V Day, <laughs> Victory Day, and Vaccine Day all in one. Um, tell me, I mean, the very first person to get the vaccine was a grandmother of four, Margaret Keenan. She says it was an early birthday present. What did it feel like watching that footage?
2: Oh, it was really emotional, really emotional, because you know we've worked so hard for this moment, and we've uh, we've and we've waited for it for so long, and this is the route out. It's the route out of our all our troubles, uh, but we're not there yet. And so it was mixed, actually. Uh, you know, obviously the joy of seeing the vaccine, such a simple task um, of um, uh, the vaccine. You know, her, her Margaret being vaccinated, but also. Also, I worry because we've got to hold on of whilst we get everybody, all the all the vulnerable people vaccinated so that we can finally put this behind us well this
1: is the big, big message about this it's a very much a you know pre-Christmas cheer but people have still got to do the right thing uh over Christmas we, we're told and and, and no, no people not was it was it tear the pants out of it or something yeah than, um, <laughs>
3: exactly how,
1: how soon though are we going to see everyone who is vulnerable and everyone who is elderly vaccinated have we actually got I've asked you in every cabinet minister I've had on, I know have you got a timetable for this because you must know by now
2: we don't know it'll be in the spring um it'll be in the next we'll take a few months to get there why does it take a few months because the manufacturing process of this vaccine is itself challenging so there's we've got to do three things the first is the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine needs to be manufactured and that is a challenging process because this is a biological uh, biological stuff it isn't just a chemical that you make it's not there's not like a formula you've got to uh you, you you've got to create this stuff um so that's the first thing the second thing is obviously the uh the approval of the astrazeneca vaccine uh, which is made in this country and we are um we'll be ready to go with that but obviously that needs the same sort of safety and efficacy um, and that, uh, regulation that
1: may be just a couple of weeks away we're told is that right
2: uh, well, I, I hope. Uh, I don't expect it in the next couple of weeks, but I'm. But early it is January advanced. Uh, well, the MHRA are in ch- charge of the I timing, realize. and I'm not going to put pressure on them. Okay. But they are, um, you know, not in the next couple of weeks, but uh, but it is imminent. They're looking at the data now. Um, the um, uh, and then the third part as well as the manufacture and the approval of the AstraZeneca vaccine is obviously the rollout and, and the NHS is ready, you know, I think you're seeing the NHS at its best today. Doing a great job.
1: OK. Um, when are we going to get all our freedoms back? That's the next big question. We want yes. to save lives, but we also want to save livelihoods. We want to we save, do. go back to normal. Not new normal. We want the old normal back. We want our freedoms. We want to be able to see our family members in our homes, meet friends, free yeah. drink. When are we going to do that? Do we have to wait until every single person in this country is vaccinated? Or once the main risk is over, no threat to the NHS, can we go back to our free lives? Yeah. yeah.
2: The, uh, the latter. The when? um well it depends on the timing that we were just talking about in terms of the manufacture and the rollout of the vaccine uh, but then you know the reason that we're prioritizing those who are most clinically vulnerable is not just to make sure they're protected as soon as possible but but that is also the fastest way to get the uh, to get all the restrictions lifted because once once we've protected those who are likely to end up in hospital and those who are likely uh, most likely if they get it to die from coronavirus, uh, then obviously the uh, we can rely on people's personal responsibility to protect themselves rather than the current okay. rules that we have to have in place. So
1: just to clarify, once people, what's that, over 70s? We know the death rate definitely goes up over 80, but over 70s, once everyone over 70 has been offered the vaccine and has been able to take it, um, then at that point, we can stop all the restrictions on everyone else's lives?
2: Well, it depends on the impact of having the vaccine on whether you transmit the disease, as opposed to just whether it protects you. And that's something that we'll be monitoring in the next. Uh, very likely. In the, the next few weeks. Well, we're hopeful. Okay. We're hopeful you just, I, mean, but, I know you've got you know, to go. I, I, I just have to be totally honest about what we do know and we don't know, and we do know that the vaccine protects you if you've had it after after your second okay. dose. But we don't know if it stops the transmission.
1: I know you've actually got a government meeting to go to. Your final, just final word, very briefly. I mean, in terms of the message to people who are concerned about taking the vaccine, what would you say to them right now?
2: I would say the vaccine helps to keep you safe. It helps to keep those close to you safe, and it's the right thing to to do for the country because the more people get vaccinated, the sooner we can lift the restrictions.
0: Online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
2: Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns.
0: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for
0: nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
1: Let's uh, talk about this now with David Salisbury. He's former director of immunisation at the Department of Health. He's now an associate fellow of Chatham House's Global Health programme. Good morning to you, David.
4: Hello, good morning. Um,
1: Your thoughts, your reaction to the news today, V-Day, these very first vaccines going out, Margaret Keenan, 90-year-old grandmother, second second person to get one, called William Shakespeare, I kid you not. Uh, You you really couldn't make this stuff up. Um, What are your feelings today on that news?
4: Really great news, fantastic that the programme has started. We've got a huge task ahead of us. We've got to protect all of the vulnerable, high-risk people. And then we've got to move on and get the rest of the population vaccinated. Every vaccine campaign is dictated by supply. We have to have security of supply. And we've got to get the vaccine on time in the quantities we need.
1: I mean, that's the crucial thing, isn't it? You've actually got to have the vaccine. There was some, you know, a bit of muddlings about like when it was actually going to appear, weren't there, uh, a week ago. But we know it's in the hospital. Some 70 hospitals have got it right now. Um, obviously, the rollout is is as affected by the fact that this vaccine, the the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, needs to be stored at minus 70, minus 75 yeah. degrees Celsius. That cold storage puts not only an extra cost, but an extra difficulty in terms of the batches and being separated and, and obviously difficult to roll it out to so the care homes where we know big worry. But of course, the people who are getting it um, today, elderly people in hospital right now, they're very high risk. We know that something like 20% of people who get the virus, who have the virus in hospital have caught it while in hospital. It was a massive issue in the first wave uh, of the, the virus spreading around hospitals. Um, you know, we were told asymptomatic uh, spread, but I think just an awful lot of people um, just you know in, in one space like that are more likely to get it. But um, as it gets rolled out into the community, this is going to be more difficult with this particular vaccine, isn't it? It because of its storage needs?
4: Some of it will be difficult and those difficulties just have to be surmounted and the issue to me is bringing people to the vaccine will be much more uh, straightforward than taking the vaccine to people. I think we can cope with that and we have to cope with that. My biggest anxiety is about supplies that we have enough vaccine quickly enough to achieve what we want to do. Remember it's going to take two doses for every person And that stretches the program to three weeks plus before you are actually protected. So a huge amount to do. I'm optimistic that we will do it, but we have to have supplies when we expect them, where we expect them. And in the quantities that we need.
1: OK, and now one fifth of people have said they would not want to take the vaccine. Interestingly, this is actually much lower than in many other countries in Europe where there's been a lot of anxiety about the vaccine. Do you expect that the anxiety about the safety of the vaccine, that that will, that will sort of go down, that will dissipate as more and more people know people who've had the vaccine, as it's rolled out to elderly relatives who are just fine as a result of it? Do you think that actually we shall see much greater take up?
4: I think so. I think that we will see very good take-up amongst the people who routinely have a seasonal flu vaccine every year. So the 65 and overs, I'm sure they will realise that the risks to them are great and the benefits of being vaccinated are even greater. And therefore, I think the, the issue is easy. It's more difficult if you're young and you don't fear the disease. And then you think, well, what's in it for me? Why should I do this? My advice to everybody Whatever the circumstance, whether you're in a high-risk group or you're offered it routinely, for goodness sake, the risks of, of the disease are so obvious. Don't take the risks. Take the benefit. Have the vaccine.
1: What about? I mean, again, I think that's incontrovertible for anyone, certainly over the age of seventy, with underlying health issues. Uh, at any age, even over sixties, for younger people, particularly those who are in the lowest age category, the children, teens, twenties, thirties, um, there will be a lot of concern, not just from them, but also from their parents and grandparents, that that they are at very low risk from this vac- from this virus, and therefore they shouldn't take any risk with a vaccine that. A lot of people are worried hasn't gone through the same safety procedures long term. Now, we know that it's safe. It's safe short term. We know that. But we can't possibly know any long term risks if they exist. It's very, very unlikely they do exist, given the way this vaccine has been developed. But if there were any long term effects, we wouldn't know those uh, for a long time. Do you do you think it's possible to allay those fears in any way in 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 a matter of months?
4: we will be following people very very carefully over the uh, for, you know over the future and that is already set up that people will be followed long term we will discover whether there are any problems at all i am very very optimistic that we will not discover anything of consequence that we should be worrying about i think we have to balance that completely unknown and highly unlikely outcome mm-hmm against the risk that is there for everybody. Don't think that because you're young, you are risk-free. Young people have died from coronavirus, and there is undoubtedly the syndrome of long COVID. So just don't take the visible risk against something that is probably unlikely ever to materialise.
1: Indeed, I mean that this is the thing. Uh, just because we've been the first to approve the regulatory process for this disease, is that this vaccine doesn't mean it hasn't gone through exactly the same procedures, which would normally be gone through for all the many other vaccines that we use. Um, you know, which we all of us have routinely had in our childhood. Um, I mean, given that you were the director of immunisation at the Department of Health, are you hopeful that we will be able to roll this out in a timely process? I mean, we know when we're getting them out very quickly. That's great. We know we've got a load on. On order. Again, a lot of this is going to depend on getting the supply in. Hopefully, we'll get the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, of which we've got a hundred million doses ordered. Much, you know, within a matter of weeks as well. That will be approved, and we'll get that out. Much easier for that to be distributed. How how hopeful are you that we're going to get this whole vaccination process done in a few months, or do you think we're still going to be discussing this in you know in a year's time, and we're still going to be living with massive curtailment of our freedom?
4: I don't know how long this is going to take. I think that we are going to be facing what I've been calling vaccine plus for quite a while. And vaccine plus is vaccine and other things that we will have to do. I don't think we will give up on social distancing for quite a while. I think we will have to wear face masks for a lot longer. I think we will be doing things like working from home for longer. So I think we will be living with vaccines plus until we know that we have both protected the vulnerable and stop transmission. But hold on a minute—that's P- difficult. P-
1: protecting the vulnerable. Look, once we've got once we've got over seventies. And people who who are very very anxious who've got you know serious diabetes or severe asthma and they're like cancer patients and they're like in in the community. I know that is millions of people. It's not a couple of hundred thousand people. I know it's a big a big ask. But but once those people are all vaccinated, why on earth can't we go back to normal life? Yeah, with a bit of extra hand washing and try and sit outside rather than indoors where you can. And the like, why should we still have to wear face masks?
4: Because. Uh, there will still be transmission amongst uh, younger people who can still infect older people. The vaccines but they don't are all have not... the vaccine. Well, hang on. The vaccines are not perfect. I wish they were. The ones that we've got so far, the Pfizer vaccine, we know that the efficacy is over 90%. Nine out of 10 will be protected by it. We don't know for how long. But the AstraZeneca vaccine is only six out of 10 protected that's four out of 10 still vulnerable. I don't think those odds are all that great to say, give up social distancing. I mean,
1: certainly, on, certainly on the nine out of 10, I'd say absolutely those odds are good enough for me to give up social distancing. The people who want to socially distance can continue to socially distance. Everyone else can say, I'll take my risk. Because given that for under 70 year olds, the risk of this virus killing you is less than the risk for flu killing you. Over 70, it's very much more flu, is, is a lower risk than than, 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 than the COVID but, but at the point where everyone's had access to the vaccine, uh, uh, who, who really needs it, at that point, those people can choose to continue social distancing or not, but the rest of us should be able, once that risk is so low, no chance of any overwhelming of the NHS, no chance of a massive big, uh, you know, just, you know, absolute chaos in our health service and, and people, you know, unable to get healthcare treatment as a result of every ICU unit being used up by an elderly person being treated with COVID. At that point there is no moral reason why the rest of us shouldn't go back to normal life
4: i don't think that's right i think that until we know that transmission has been stopped we and other people we who've been vaccinated and others who've not been vaccinated for instance are still at risk yes and but the people risk, are we we're, we're,
1: we're, we're at risk of lock but we're still at risk of getting flu we don't lock people down no you're down. not at the
4: moment so let's well, yeah. don't bring in things that aren't relevant
1: Well, no, but but flu every year. I mean, back in 2000, 48,000 people died of flu, but we didn't lock everybody up and tell people they had to wear masks on their faces. We can't, we're never going to have zero risk. Are are you saying until we have zero risk that we need to carry on? No, I
4: think until we know that we are interrupting transmission and stopping the spread, then uh, we can uh, release some of the restrictions. But remember we won't be vaccinating 100% of the vulnerable people. That would be a a miracle. For flu vaccine, that we are one of the best in the world, we get 75% uptake of the uh, 65 and overs. That's one out of four are not protected. So I just think that we will have to be careful for a bit longer...
1: And Those people have to be careful. Those people have to be careful because there is.
4: No, no. One out of four of them can be infected by a younger person
1: if they come into contact with them.
4: Well, we all come into contact one way or another.
1: Mm, lots, lots of people haven't come into contact with anybody all year. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think this is going to be the next big debate: is is how soon you know what what level of risk we are. I'd, or love, not it to to
4: take. I'd yeah. love it to be sooner. I'd love it to be sooner. I'm just trying to be. Realistically, no, it uh, might uh, not be
0: so soon. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk radio.
1: Brexit. Are we going to see a VE Day uh, in, in Europe? A victory uh, with a Brexit deal or indeed some might say a victory in not doing a bad deal. No deal? Better than a bad deal? Remember who said that? Well, of course, it was the boss of my next guest, uh, Lord Barwell. Gavin Barwell as well as former chief of staff to the prime minister as she was. Theresa May joins us now. Good morning to you, Lord Barwell. Um, lovely to talk to you now. Of course, uh, you and your boss and others faced a lot of probobium from the the, the the staunch Brexiteers over sort of being told you you'd given in too much and you'd uh, offered too much to the uh, uh, to the EU in terms of uh, uh, withdrawal agreements and the like. Never even got to the stage of negotiating actual trade deal. What do you read into what's going on right now? That long phone call between the prime minister and Ursula von der Leyen, uh, the European Commission ch- uh, president, um, and also the Boris Johnson planning to go to Brussels uh, tomorrow or Thursday ahead of that European Council summit. Does that read for you that that is a deal is ready to be had or does that read to you as desperation?
3: Uh, Somewhere in between, I think. I I don't think he would be going and I don't think um, she would have offered the meeting or agreed the meeting if there was no chance of a deal. Uh, But it seems pretty clear that there are still some significant differences between the two sides. So it's not just going over there to to initial the deal, as it were. There's still some negotiating to be done. I think it, I think it's more likely than not we'll get a deal, but it's not a certainty.
1: Oh, you still think it's more likely? I mean, everyone always says yeah. you know it's Manuel Macron is the sticking point. Angela Merkel wants one, the Irish want one, the Dutch want one. Uh, many others, frankly, could I don't think really could care less. But we know for Emmanuel Macron and France, this this is there are some crucial issues like fishing and others where he is just refusing to back down. Do you think there is? I suppose, the political room for either Macron or Boris Johnson to back down in terms of their own domestic politics?
3: Yeah, look, I think I think a deal is possible. I think both sides could make the necessary compromises, but I think you've put your finger exactly on what the problem is. Lots of people in this country, really from the time of the referendum, uh, either assumed a deal was going to be easy, clearly that has not been true, or they assumed that the member states were our friends, that the commission was the bad guy and that the member states would come to our rescue. And actually, I think the opposite is true, that a lot of the member states have concerns about the UK getting too good a deal uh, and have repeatedly intervened to tighten things up a little bit. So you're right, a deal is going to require compromise on both sides. And the question is whether both Boris Johnson and the European leaders are prepared to make those compromises.
1: And that's the thing, because a lot of this isn't actually about... Future trade and what's in national interests or, or any other nation's interests. A lot of this is about the future of the EU. This is about a lot of saving face, isn't it? There are an awful lot within the upper echelons of of, uh, of governments in, in France, Germany, and elsewhere, I and mean, certainly we know in the European Commission and the European Union of uh, 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 sort of employees and civil service who who feel that Britain should be punished for leaving the EU. And then a message needs to be sent out, pour encourager les autres, um, very clearly that leaving the EU is not a good thing to do. The last thing they want is for Britain to leave the EU and to flourish, which is one of the reasons why they want that level playing field uh, and all of that, because they want to tie our hands and stop us being a competitive independent state. This is A lot of this is about sending a message to other countries who might be thinking, musing about whether or not the EU is a good deal anymore.
3: So I, I partially agree with that, right? So I think you're, I think you're I don't think people want to punish Britain, but I think you're right. Nearly all of those national leaders have got an opposition party that is Eurosceptic. And so they clearly don't want Brexit to be seen as an unalloyed success because that's going to be difficult for them politically. And I think they would say to you, protecting our single market and making sure that we don't create some alternative state that is actually more competitive than the infras- what the thing that we've built up over the last 50 years. Is in our national interest and yes you've taken back control you've got your sovereignty but you should expect us to do what's in our interest and that's protecting our single market so i I kind of partially agree with Mm. you with Maybe a slightly different emphasis about what's driving it.
1: Um, If a deal is done, it's going to be important for both sides to argue that they have got a good deal. And we certainly saw after Boris Johnson signed that withdrawal agreement, that everyone said wouldn't be done uh, around uh, was it party conference season, wasn't it? I mean, it just seems like a lifetime ago, Gavin. It really does. But uh, only a matter only I mean only just over a year ago now, Um, and it was very much done in a very conciliatory, conciliatory way. It wasn't done as a ha ha, we got one over. It's going to be very important that both sides can can view this as a victory for them um, and and for everyone, and you know and that censors won out. But if there is a no deal, where do you think the blame will actually lie?
3: Well, I'm I'm sure both sides will try and put it on on each other uh, because it will ultimately be because one or both were not prepared to make the necessary compromises. I think that the it's more important for Boris Johnson to be able to claim a win. I would say if you look at what happened last autumn. Essentially, I would argue he made a concession to them in terms of going back to what they'd always wanted, which was a Northern Ireland only arrangement that involves some checks when goods move from Great Britain to Northern Ireland. And he claimed that as a great triumph. And actually, you know, their electorates don't follow the detail of Brexit in the same way that we do. Uh, So they were relatively relaxed about him claiming that as a great victory because they'd actually got the key thing that they wanted. Uh, So I think the theatrics, if you like, are a bit more important on their side, but this is more difficult because it involves things like fishing, which are emotionally important, not just here in the UK, but in France, in the Netherlands, uh, in Spain. Belgium etc. Do you think just finally do you think the I mean we know Boris Johnson would like to get a deal
1: it may well be actually politically for him it'd be more damaging again that whole you know uh, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal a bad deal which Brexit is unhappy with well you know the Remainers aren't happy with him anyway in which case he's got to keep someone happy Uh, but 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 in terms of for the for the EU do you think that the EU overall do you think they would actually like to get a deal?
3: Yeah, if it, if it is one that they're confident doesn't undermine their single market, yes. But that is the bottom line for them. I think on our side, the difficulty the Prime Minister has politically is short term versus long term. Short term, if you do a deal, you've got to own it and say it's a good thing. And actually, even the kind, of, even if he gets a deal, it's going to be quite a skinny deal and there will still be some economic impact. Whereas if it's no deal, he can blame the Europeans. But long term no deal, I would argue, you probably take a different view, he may have a significant uh, impact on our economy. And he's, there, he's, got to, he's got to factor those two things politically against each other. Across the UK, online,
0: on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.